Hey, we should grab coffee sometime. This is one of the most frequently used phrases by creatives seeking to set up a meeting and connect. Who knows how many ideas, plans, and relationships have been built over a cup of coffee? This is why we decided to start the Creatives Grab Coffee podcast, a platform where we invite creatives to come and discuss various topics about the industry all over a cup of coffee. So, so let, let us start. start. Uh, welcome, everybody, to episode three of the Creatives Grab Coffee podcast. You'll notice that the setup is a little bit different today. Mm-hmm. We swapped seats uh, because it only seemed right to have Kirill buy his hat collection. And I figured since he's got a hat collection, I'll bring in my, well, part of my shoe collection here. So it's one of his over there. One of many, (laughs) which is an understatement. (laughs) You could probably date. Oh, if I bring them in based on when I got them, you could probably date these episodes. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Another thing we're doing different today is uh, Dario's deciding to have tea. Yeah, I'm trying to taper off coffee. Because I notice it's just not doing the job anymore. So my goal is to go to tea and then go to decaf tea. And then after a month or so of that, go back to coffee. Yeah, he, he, he likes to complicate the, his drinking coffee process. It doesn't though. work after a while. You have like three to four coffees and it's still it's not doing anything. So we're going to have to change the name of the show. Creatives grab coffee and tea. And tea, yeah. <laughs> but no... no uh, no worries. I'm at least the one that's still going to be drinking the coffee today. We're today. I'm having a kicking horse. <laughs> See, he's already screwed up the intro now, right? Uh, so I'm having kicking horse coffee, uh, espresso, and Dario's having some Tetley, Tetley green tea. That's not gr- no. It's Earl Grey, but it doesn't matter. I gave you, I gave you the the blueberry one. That's the one you wanted. No, I wanted the uh, Earl Grey. Well, you haven't been complaining. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> what is this? What am I drinking? <laughs> Oh, it is blueberry. Yeah. Doesn't taste good anymore. <laughs> wow. So that, I'm not even going to go there. But today we're going to be covering a few smaller topics instead of one or two uh, bigger ones because we felt that there's a few things that we noticed ever since COVID-19 hit that has kind of affected us a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, specifically our productivity. Hmm. Uh, I feel like everyone has gone through... I feel like everyone's gone through a process where they're having some struggles with productivity, especially now when a lot of work has gone. Dario, how was how was it for you when the, the pandemic hit? It was brutal, man. But I don't think I'm the only one uh, that went through the same stuff because, I mean, when it first hit, I just, I couldn't get motivated to do anything because um, I went from like a pretty packed schedule and then all of a sudden there was just nothing to do. And it was cold outside, so you couldn't even go out for walks for longer than like half an hour. So I I wasn't, it took me three, it took me about like, I think just this month, July, I finally got back into my pre-quarantine groove. Really? It took you pretty much all of the quarantine, four months to really kind of get back in I mean, in we're groove. still in it and we're still going to be in it for a long time to come, yeah. right? Yeah, I just, because I, I had such a... Uh, set schedule like we had work during the day and then later on in the evenings I had so many hobbies like every day I I had at least one hobby to do I had either like kazumba yoga muay thai gym or whatever right I was just going to those things and it was just a fun time right Mm -hmm. and then all that stuff got canceled so it just it threw me off balance so much that it took me a while to get back into the usual flow of things 
Yeah, I, I don't think people realize, um, or I think a lot of people actually realize this now, but our hobbies are also what help us remain productive because yeah. you can't be working uh, 100% of the time, 24-7, because you're going to experience burnout. We've covered this in, in some of the previous podcasts. That yeah, yeah, like when I was, when we were doing work, like let's say uh, we were just taking care of managerial stuff for the day. If I felt stressed or my, my head just wasn't in it for that day, I would just go to a quick uh, yoga class and then I'd come back and I was in the zone again. Mm -hmm. But then when quarantine happened, it's just like you can't do anything. Yeah. Dario, you mentioned that you know, it took you a couple months to get productive. So let's go back a little bit to uh, around May or June. We were still getting some work done at that point. So you did seem like you were starting to get in the groove, at least from my point of view back then barely man really yeah it's i I've, i then have a routine mm -hmm. whereas before the quarantine i had a routine every day i knew what i was doing mm -hmm. and then once i got taken away from me it just threw me off mm -hmm. so what ended up working for me to get back into like a groove was how we would start doing morning calls every day because you said yeah we were doing some work but it was only when we'd call each other and then we'd stay on the phone to try to get some work done right yeah at a set time every day i think we started that in early june early june is when we started uh i remember you got into the groove of it way before you got into the groove of it in june no actually it was earlier than that earlier than me. that you got into it yeah okay. well you you finish first i'll go over my my bit in a sec yeah so uh let's see we left off where yeah so three to four months so june is when we slowly started calling each other more frequently to try to get work done and that was helpful mm -hmm. uh and then eventually in july we started doing it every day well on weekdays right yeah so that helped a lot because that helped me just you know uh it, it helped set a routine that's mm -hmm. what that's what helped me at the end of the day yeah and then it also helped that uh, my brother and I got a home gym, so I was slowly getting back into the groove of things. So in the morning, I'd call you at 10, and then till like 4, we'd talk and do work. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was kind of like, okay, we're done now. And then we also had it set so on the weekends, it was like a no like work uh, period. Yeah. So that helped too. So that was slowly helping me develop a new routine. Yeah developing a routine is is very key to helping people get back into the groove of things and i think uh, as a team uh june and july was pretty much where we started to get back into yeah, things and yeah. i think a lot of other a lot of other things on the side that started kind of being reintroduced uh we had our first uh client gig again just recently uh, mm. <laughs> mid-july yeah mid-july so that's kind of giving us a little bit of a a little bit a little bit of a confidence boost knowing that you know businesses are starting to kind of realize that it's time to get back to work as as much as possible obviously there are restrictions now because we're still in stage two at least in toronto uh at the time of this recording but mm -hmm. uh we don't know where it's gonna go um but as i said now we're pretty much back in the the groove of things and i'm and i think this podcast also helps us uh continue uh with that le same level if not better better level of productivity so what about you how did you handle the the quarantine how what, what happened to your productivity well pretty much like everyone else and like yourself it just went away instantly i think it was for three or four weeks i was i got nothing done 
uh, we, we went, like you said, packed schedule on not only weekdays, but weekends as well with, uh, with all the work that we were doing, especially since we were on uh, a growing trajectory, mm-hmm. we were getting more and more, uh, bookings as, uh, as each month came along and we were pretty much getting ready for a pretty busy summer, but you know, because of the pandemic, everything just went away. So now mm-hmm. we just got hit with, okay, how do we figure out a way to start working? But you know, there's no actual client work there. Um, setting, setting hours for work was very difficult to do from the beginning, because as we mentioned, you know, there were no hobbies, uh, like the going to the gym, uh, was also not happening anymore either. So we decided, so I decided, okay, great. There's nothing I can really, (laughs) there wasn't really much that I could do at that point, but one, a few things started to kind of slowly, uh, get me back in the groove of things. Uh, I discovered this one, um, online uh, software called Skillshare, where they basically allow you to uh, look up courses, uh, you know, that people have put together based on different skills. So I, I first started trying to trying to learn a few new skill sets. And I think that kind of started getting me into the groove of things. Uh, and uh, we also started to update our, our website. Mm-hmm. We updated our portfolio and we updated our reel. I think you forgot that we did that a little bit yeah, earlier yeah, on. Yeah. So it was a slow bit of work um, but you know we were at least getting things done so once those things were taken care of um, I was trying to figure out okay what next and there was a project that I had started a couple years back called the art of doc which was basically a, a, a little idea for a YouTube show that I wanted to do and I thought okay you know what let me get my brain like start my brain up again you know at least get the creative juices flowing and I put together about two episodes and I think that that got me into more of a work mode at that point. And one of the other things that also helped me kind of keep going was that we have our partnership with the AMA mm-hmm. and they finally got back to us with some uh, revisions that needed to be done in uh, early May. And that's when we uh, were wrapping up that project. So this was a project that we had, this was a project that we had recorded just prior to uh, the lockdown, literally two or three days before the lockdown hit so we got we got that project in just in time and luckily that was uh, a bit of a process that kind of helped us at least helped me in terms of uh, the editing side of things you know get back into being productive another thing that really helped me stay very productive was i got back into writing in my notebook Hmm. this was something that i had tried many years ago you know a couple times you know taking notes based on meetings uh based on calls or even writing ideas and over the last few years, I just kind of dropped it and I didn't really do much with it. Uh, but within the whole lockdown, I basically had to buy a new book because I filled up an entire book up until now. Just Were from, you writing you know, in their ideas or just uh, tasks? So do? mostly some tasks, but mostly ideas. Um, anything that, that would come to mind, I would, I would write down um, what the idea is and then just kind of like just kind of what my thoughts were on it. Then I would also write down notes from meetings, also questions that I wanted to ask people during meetings, um, especially because now we've been doing a lot of Zoom calls. So I always have my notebook handy with me, you know, in case somebody mentions something that could be interesting, you know, I just quickly jot it down if I can, so I don't forget. And to be honest, writing in your notebook, it helps you remember things a lot better. I had completely forgotten about that. Yeah, I use use like a legal pad for calls uh, and then... And then for tasks to do during the day, but I, I predominantly use Google Keep because mm-hmm. you could carry it around with you, right? Google Keep is good, and I, I 
everyone has different means of, uh, of how they are productive in terms of how they get their work done. Um, I also use Google Keep a lot of the time if I don't have my notebook on hand, but um, what I like about the notebook is it allows me to get my initial thoughts and ideas down right away. And then, for example, if we have an idea for a video, I write down my, my ideas and then later we bring it into our briefs and then we just kind of develop it from there. So it's not meant to develop a lot of things, but mm-hmm. it's at least to kind of get the initial ideas on paper just to just kind of see what it looks like, right? Yeah. That's pretty much what I have done to try to stay productive throughout the, the last few months. And like you mentioned, in June was when we started doing our daily calls at set times around 9 a.m. And I think that helped us as a team kind of get back into the flow of things. Um, doing our daily calls really helped us as a team get uh, back into the swing of things. We had our own different ways of getting ourselves back into a work mindset. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that bringing those two experiences together as a team, I think really got us to being productive finally. Yeah. One thing I would say that helped a lot is developing a regular sleeping schedule. So nowadays I wake up at seven every day Mm -hmm. and it really helps. And I'll go to bed at the latest at 1 Mm a.m. And that helps a lot because now I have a sleeping schedule. Before it was kind of, eh, I'll go to bed at 2, maybe 3, and then I'll wake up at 10. It's not like we have to do anything anyways, right? (laughs) Well, that's kind of how it was in the first few weeks. You know, we were, (laughs) everything was screwed up in terms of uh, scheduling, including the sleep schedule. Let's kind of go over now onto our next topic, which is job security. Uh, Is there really such a thing, Dario, as a safe job now in 2020? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think there's been I don't think there's been a job that offers long-term job security in a long time. Mhm. It's it's interesting because the last jobs that you and I both had that was considered the traditional safe job was us being tellers. Yeah. Not at the same bank, albeit it was just coincidental that we both ended up yeah. being tellers at one point. <laughs> but <laughs> we also both worked at Hollister. We also both worked at Hollister, which was completely unrelated as well. uh, I think I got the job. um, It was a different Hollister from you, but... Yeah, you were at Ethan Center. Yeah, and you were at Fairview. But we never even mentioned that we both worked there, but it was just a funny coincidence. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyways, so yeah, like uh, being tellers were the last jobs. It was considered a pretty safe job in the sense of, you know, you get in and you're at the bank. You're gonna Anytime find you work. get into the bank, you'll be fine, right? But I think, I don't know how it was for you, but uh, from what I heard when I was working there, they were planning on closing a lot of the branches, right? But yeah. think about it. What do you do? Why would you spend 15 minutes there in line? Driving where you could there. Just, where you could just go to the ATM, deposit your check, withdraw money, yada, 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 right? Well, now you How could... often is a young person withdrawing over like a thousand, whatever the daily limit is, let's say over a thousand bucks. Why are you carrying a thousand, over a thousand bucks with you, right? Well, here's the other thing. A lot of the time now, they've also introduced uh, uh, photo deposits for checks. So anytime I'm depositing a check into my bank account, I could oh, just, you take just a, e-deposit. I could just e-deposit it with my phone. Yeah. I haven't actually needed to go into the bank unless you and I have had to go to talk to a financial advisor specifically for our business. Which is like once, once every blue, blue moon. But yeah, like we haven't had... Uh, an employment job since that time. So we're pretty much out of the loop when it comes to that. But from what I've seen with a lot of people that I've talked to in my network, um, people who have worked at the banks for 10, 15, 20 years, not at, you know, um, a branch level, but, you know, like more on a marketing level, 
the some people are even being phased out on those higher levels, which is uh, which was almost like a surprise to me because I remember when I first got to Ryerson, I wanted to do marketing, and that was kind of the direction I wanted to go, thinking, okay, I'll probably you know make some decent money, and I should I should be pretty much relatively safe. But you know, hearing now how a lot of different companies are shifting, trying to make their team smaller, phasing out some other some other uh, team members, I thought I was thinking to myself, wow, not as safe as I as I once thought it would be at the bank, right? Yeah, like at the bank or any of those. But big... ad agencies are doing that too, aren't they? Aren't they like? That's the uh, other thing now. Yeah, that's the other thing now. A lot of ad agencies and marketing companies are starting to downsize because they're realizing they don't need all that overhead and all that uh, amount of talent to work especially now with covid you know there so many companies have gone out of business because of because of it uh, and not being able to to bring in work so many people have been laid off and i honestly don't know if they're going to come back oh, a lot of them aren't probably not so what happens now to all those people who are working at these companies you know it's it, unemployment because we didn't go that route because we didn't go that route of uh, trying to work at other agencies or companies and, and things like that. And we were starting our business from the ground up. We have at least a foundation now, right? And we can, we're now at a point where we can start looking in and uh, looking at different avenues of where we can go with the business, what type of clients we can work with. We have experience with it, right? Imagine if we were just, if some people were deciding to start a company right now. How would that how would that work? Yeah, I don't know. I, I all I know is that pandemics or, or, or moments in history like this usually um, they're fat trimmers almost. So they'll they'll um, a lot of companies won't make it, but the ones that do end up becoming mammoths of industry. Yeah, even like smaller. the strongest, like some of the biggest companies were found were founded or came to prominence during the great depression now oh 100 percent. yeah those are always the brands and, and businesses that were able to thrive and and but push you, forward but you know another thing is um a lot of the companies that have failed due to the pandemic were probably not in a good spot to begin with yeah so it's almost like again it, it just ripped off the band-aid at that point and it's like well mm -hmm. if you can't survive under these conditions and you probably weren't doing that well when it wasn't like this, right? But at the same time, it also depends on the types of business that you are in. Because I know a lot of companies, uh, and you do as well, a lot of wedding-based companies that were thriving like crazy. They were having hundreds of weddings a year. But because of this pandemic, all of that business just went away like that. It's not necessarily that they weren't successful. It's just, unfortunately for them, the line of work that they were in was very dependent on people gathering together. And now because of this, they're, they're now gone. Or at least not gone. Shouldn't but... that, doesn't that say a lot about money management, though? If you're a company and you're not setting aside money for a rainy day. I mean, it, it depends. Especially a wedding, wedding company, you don't need to be in like a big, big office with this and that. Well, you look, you're like you're your going... overhead should not be insane, right? Like that company you were talking about. Um that's downtown and is paying they're locked into a lease which is an absorb is like it's a crazy amount to pay every month was that a good idea to begin with why go downtown why not go somewhere else where maybe the rent is cheap why why have so much overhead before that well look from their perspective the amount of work that they were probably getting it was probably 
5% of their, their costs at the time. So you also have to think of what maybe their perspectives would have been uh, pre-COVID. They probably would never have even thought that that was that much of an expense considering the amount of work they had. They had a team of people that had to work on projects. They needed a space. Obviously, you're going from the approach of why was it downtown and not um, you know, somewhere else. But I'm just thinking a lot of companies probably didn't... I mean, I don't want to put words... I don't want to judge by not knowing them, but I'm, assu- I'm going to go ahead and assume that before this pandemic, there were a lot of there was a lot of overhead that didn't need to be there, right? Well, maybe, maybe a little bit, but at the time, you still needed this you... whole downsizing thing. It's not because of the pandemic. It's been a trend for a couple of years now. People, companies have been downsizing. I think it depends on also in terms of the amount of downsizing that is needed. I think it depends on the industry that you're in and the type of client work that you're bringing. So, these companies that have bigger offices downtown. Their reasoning probably for working from there was to be also closer in the and be in the environment where their clients were. And I think that helps a lot when it comes to having a sales funnel as well. If you're in an environment where there are hundreds of companies around you that are probably going to need work like that, it's just a little bit easier to sell to them from that location than say if you were up in Vaughn, especially if that's where your clientele is. If you are a very remote based business, then yes, of course, you can probably be anywhere. Like like us, you you and I are very remote based. But us, like we usually, we almost, we never invite the, even when we had that office downtown, we never invited the clients over. They didn't even want to come. Like we always went to them, right? Yeah. But I wonder it, how it is with other companies. Do they most of the time just go to the client? I'm assuming because their clients are usually always busy, they probably go to them or they arrange some, something like that. Okay, no? let me ask you a question then. If you had three employees three people that worked for you that you were paying sixty thousand a year each and you guys did not have a space for all of you to work how would you always know at least in the beginning you know how would you know or get to know them to the point where um uh, you you can trust that they will get the work done and they're or they're efficient with their work or even creating the company culture that's another thing to keep in mind a lot of companies have spaces to help foster a good company culture that is maybe one thing that is missing from our business because we're um, because we're more remote ours our culture is a little bit different and it's basically just the two of us right it's it's what you and i decide to make it but if we have every person that we start to bring in in the future um, that become a permanent member of the team that evolves the workplace culture it evolves the perspectives and it evolves the um the the skill sets and opinions and values of the business right so if we're looking at it from our perspective now obviously we were smart to not have uh, an office space beforehand because it was not necessary but other businesses they they needed it to be productive they needed it to to work um no i get that but being downtown because you're surrounded by the businesses i don't really buy that argument i think it's just uh we are downtown type of deal i mean I honestly don't know. It, it, it really, I mean, maybe some people that we bring onto the podcast in the future, we could always ask them. And, and uh, Yeah, I'm uh, curious because it doesn't sound like, it's good if you have a lot of cash flow, but are you, is look, it, what about in downtown? Like what, what if something bad happens? Like look, how are we're you still, be saved? Look, we're still looking at this from a hindsight perspective, you know, where we, we see how things have, uh, uh, we see where things have gone because of the pandemic. We can't be judging too much because of this. You know, no one, would have expected something like this. The The industries have been running smoothly for decades. Yeah. No one would have expected 
a virus to come in and just shut down their business and then have so many companies struggling just from their overhead. You and I were just very fortunate to not be in that position. If we were in that same position as them, considering the amount of work that has gone away for us, we would have had to shut down the business. Yeah. You know, like technically the business should be, but because of the position that we're in, we're able to survive and push through this. Obviously, you know, we're not, um, you know, like we're, we're at a level where it's like, you know, the clients are starting to come back, you know, and, and we're starting to grow back up again, but it wouldn't have happened quick enough that it would have been sustainable for us. And the business would have had to shut down. We would have had to maybe even consider career changes. I know some people who, who have had businesses where they were successful for years and they're now in the process of even of switching industries completely, uh, and, and like getting out of the creative and moving into, into something different. Uh, and that's because not necessarily that the business have, uh, have failed. Some of them are also nimble, but they're noticing that there's no work. So it's time for a career change for them, you know? And I think we're fortunate also right now in the fact that we also don't have a lot of personal expenses that are, is allowing us to kind of, um, it, it, it's like we said, we're starting the business almost all over again. So all the five years of work that we put in to kind of get to the, to get the business to the point where we're making sustainable income from it is now gone. We're basically starting from scratch almost again. Right. And it's now going to be probably another two, three years of us as a business trying to find that sustainable cash flow. Um, and, and that's pretty much it at this point with that, you know, there's, there's not much else we can really say about, you know, the, the businesses that are like who had uh, a lot of overhead, you know, it is what it is right now, the situation, and there's not much that can be done for now. I mean, other than evolve, like we have working remotely, like everyone is right now. And I think once those leases that a lot of these businesses have downtown are up, they're probably going to get rid of it because of also or down or go to a smaller spot or, or somewhere where it's cheaper. Exactly. Because like us, other businesses have been able to reflect on their model and see where they what resources they need and what resources they don't and so as a result they've evolved i think in a way a lot of companies are benefiting because they've been forced to adapt um you know uh during covid and they might come out of it more a lot more efficient which will allow them to get back on their feet a lot faster yeah i can definitely see more efficient because now you just have I mean, uh, probably cheaper too, because now you can uh, go to smaller offices because you don't need your whole work staff to be there, right? You can have them work at home. For us, I think it's, uh, um, let's see how this affects us though, because we were planning on bringing in a couple of full-timers, right? Going well, forward, if we were able to do that, but yeah, I think I think we'll, we'll just stick with freelancers at this point. At this point, we're going to have to, yeah. Um, it's unfortunate because I really wanted to uh, get the business to the point where we could have and develop a workplace culture, you know, that's tangible to see, you know, like a physical space. The closest thing that this set for our podcast is probably the closest thing that we've had to, you know, um, like a workplace culture in a way, right? You know, we're, we decorated it to the point, you know, to kind of reflect who we are. You know, that's another way to kind of help promote yourself is work in a space that reflects you. I wonder if uh, job security will actually, well, at least for the freelancers out there, will actually, I wonder if this will actually improve job security going forward. It might. There might be in terms of how they get business 
companies will be a little bit more strategic and they'll be a little bit more strategic in terms of how they bring in business and how they lock down employees, right? Yeah. The thing that I've noticed though is that I think there's more a lot there's going to be a surge in freelancers. Yeah. Because so many businesses are downsizing, what are these people going to do if there's not going to be any companies hiring? They're going to just have to hustle and and work for themselves. The one thing that I've noticed a lot of companies uh, value nowadays is flexibility. And I think that is a skill set in a way that is overlooked by so many people. A lot of people are very set in their ways where they charge a certain amount for a certain amount of work. Uh, and if there's any deviation in their model in terms of what is being asked of the project, then they, they, they're very set in it. I remember I... A couple years back, I would I would do weddings, and I was always very flexible. You know, if if a day was needed where it was twelve hours versus fourteen hours, I gave a rough quote for that, right? But there were some people that I worked with where they said they work only twelve hours, not a second more, no matter what. Uh, like I was good to do more hours. Obviously, I will get paid for those more hours as well. You know, I had a I had a pricing set for if you need extra hours, this is how much it costs, but I will do more work if need be or less work depending on what's needed. And I completely agree with what you mean in terms of flexibility of skill set. Like skill set is very, like people are looking for others who are not necessarily Swiss, Swiss army knives, but know more than one or two things. I think you need to know more than one or two things nowadays. Yeah. But if you're too flexible on prices. No, you uh, shouldn't be flexible on pricing. It hurts, it hurts other uh, freelancers, but I think now that the pandemic is coming to an well, I mean things are opening up. So many people are in need of work; they'll be charging a lot less. I feel like I never find people charge exactly the level. I think it's always going to be like a little bit of a variance. Well, some a are range. less, some are more. Well, there's a range, right? Like for example, if you're a DP, once you're you become like a pretty skilled one, and you you've got a network. The average rate seems to be about twelve to fifteen hundred for the day. Yeah, right? that's a pretty standard rate now. Pretty standard, and that's pretty much if you're a you're, you're a good DP. Like if I you hire know what you, you're doing. If I hire you, you know where you, you you're gonna give me good footage, right? Yeah. Uh, those guys make a killing because I know some some of them work almost every day of the the month, and think about it at even 1200 a day for 30 days that's a lot of money at the end of the day that's, that's pretty good but but that's sustainable now going forward maybe five years will you still be able to charge that amount it it honestly just depends on the market and um it depends on how many people especially are especially with the low barriers to entry that we have now mm -hmm. look at the cameras that are coming out now like the the r5 that's crazy, man. You'll be able to get some pretty high end footage, right? And then even light lights are starting to uh, lighting prices are starting to come down as well. Well, you're going to be competing with like I don't know if you could charge the same amount. So even your job security will be will be threatened to a certain extent, right? Well, the thing that I that I notice is that equipment may go down, but I feel that you your the pricing won't necessarily go down in terms of uh, who you are because that's when skill and quality of of your of your experience comes into play more and people are going to have to sell themselves on that because if barriers to entry are that low which i agree you know they're going to 
cause a shift in terms of well, that, that means the talent pool is also so much bigger talent pool is bigger but how many of those people are are people that basically work with just the equipment they have and the stock uh the the stock uh templated kind of uh videos that they've seen other people do a lot of the people that are going in that are getting into the industry there's kind of like i've noticed that it's the skill sets in that industry have um kind of like branched off into kind of tiers the lower end when people are just entering almost all of them are doing the same type of work that i from what i've seen they're all imitating some of the people that they see on youtube because those people have have gone up like crazy i remember when i was getting into it there was a handful of youtube creators that were making work and i noticed that they that each one had a different kind of personality in their work and that's why it was a lot easier for me to adopt a little bit of my own when i was starting out if you look at almost not every content creator but maybe 80 percent of them they all in the video space in the video space buy yeah buy my lut cost thousand bucks i'll give it to you for 30 bucks that see that's an example right there right a lot of them look the same they all mimic each other there's so much mimicking like there are some guys that well they all are, copy like peter mckinnon and casey neistat they all copy that well well uh they were kind of copying a little bit of that a few years ago, but now there are even more of them that are also coming out on YouTube where a lot of, there's maybe like 20 to 30 guys who are basically the same content almost. Same look, same style, same uh, gear reviews. You know, it's, there's so much of it out there now that there's no, there's no uniqueness anymore in terms of that. So that's when experience and adaptability and flexibility um start to come into play in the future you know like obviously never be flexible on your pricing if you know your worth but uh you're able to kind of like look at like a bulk project and see how you can create the best work that's also worth it for you in terms of how you get paid but also worth it for the the person that's hiring you right uh there's there's always going to be a balance but at the same just to kind of circle back on what i was saying was that if you know how to shoot in the moment you know you know how adaptable you are to a lot of different projects it will show in the work a lot of these people who claim to be experts on youtube they're just imitating i've someone never else. seen their portfolio well that's the thing you never see their you portfolios. never see their portfolio you've never seen it they just talk they have a good looking video and that's it but here's the thing there's a lot there's gonna there's less bar barriers to entry there's a lot more people entering the field what do you think they're gonna be doing for work weddings a lot of them yeah that's a good place to level up on your skills right good place to start yep so i think that the talent pool of good shooters is going to go up by a lot in the in the future in the coming years there's going to be a, a lot of good shooters mm -hmm. and then from there as long as they learn some basic lighting three-point lighting like you're good the baseline uh for uh skill is going to go up. I agree with that. Yeah. That's basically what you're saying. The baseline of what's considered uh, not passable, but you know, you know, it works uh, for the job. It's obviously going up every year. And that's how it is with any industry. It always evolves like that. You know, obviously the wedding the pricing space, is going to go down. Pricing is going to go down at the end. Pricing probably will go down. But so I if think you're a high end DP, like after a while, you're going to go like shit. Like well, I got to compete. Well, well, not high. end. I don't mean like you're on reds or whatever, but yeah. 
you're going to end up competing with these guys. And it's going to get to the point where there's a cap. I mean, let's be honest. Most projects are small, small to medium level size, yeah. right? So they're not going to You don't need there. to bring in a guy with his FS7 or FS9 and you don't need that. As long as they got something good, shoots 4K, which almost every camera does, yeah. as long as it's 10-bit, which most of the newer cameras are, mm-hmm. you're, you'll be good. As long as like you make sure, like as long as there's someone on set... Letting them know, like you, you can, you can get good footage to use at a cool yeah. fraction of the price. Oh, I completely agree. You know, I think we've moved on from the, from the era where your camera is what hires you at this point. Yes, there are some broadcast jobs that have very specific needs. Um, Those are dying out, anyways, but right? In a way, yeah, a lot of them are dying out, especially because a lot of projects are becoming more and more independent as well. Uh, and not a lot of people shoot for TV nowadays. Everything's online. Yeah. You don't need to have a broadcast camera because unless you're part of the news, like, why do you really need that? Like, seriously? Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of, like, for example, one of the industry standards for broadcast is, for example, using a Canon C300 or an FS7. Yeah. Those are some of the most versatile cameras that give uh, high quality, um, which make it good for broadcast. But some of the time people are hired for those jobs because of those cameras, not necessarily for uh, their skill set. some of the time. And you start to see it in their work. It's very interesting how, you know, things are evolving. And I think, like, for example, one of, I did one documentary shoot where uh, they asked me if I had a C300 and that was a requirement for the shoot. And I told them, I don't have it. I have a C200, which is the next best thing very close to the same and almost the exact same image quality you shoot on raw it's better so if yeah if but if you're doing if you're doing a documentary shooting raw is not necessarily the most efficient because of how like you know canon with their file sizes not we're not going to get into we're not going to get into the specifics of this camera necessarily but basically the c200 um uh, had a few features missing uh compared to the other one but the production was actually willing to still work with me on that because of some of my experience in terms of the work that I have done. And I guess once they saw some of the footage, they thought, Oh, this, they, they captured it pretty good. And that's what I'm, that's what I strongly believe is that I don't care what camera you have, as long as it's a fairly decent one, that's somewhat modern and you can put out good work, then you're more valuable than 80% of the other people out there. Cause I think you and I have had experiences where we hired people who had those bigger cameras as well thinking, all right, they might know what they're doing, but they would mess up on some of the most basic things like exposure or framing. And you would think to yourself, how are you missing this crucial skill? Whereas other people who might have just a DSLR um, and some of the older ones even, and and you see the video and the content that they they put out right after that, and you're thinking, wow, you really gave a lot of value uh, for, for what you, for what you put out there. That's like, this is amazing. So I think people, a lot of freelancers need to learn to adapt in that sense. Mm-hmm. One other point I wanted to address, um, was how we're part of this group called, uh, Toronto video producing group. What's that group? Called? It's, it's but a, it, it's a Facebook group for Toronto content creators. Right. So anytime you need a person, you just make a post and that like, you'll just get applications you right? get flooded with hundreds so of here, applications. so here's the thing yeah like you can just say like i have this project i need an audio operator you'll get 30 to 40 recommendations oh that's so hard to go through even 
So uh, job security, even for a freelancer, it's crazy because you're competing with, there's like 20,000 people in that group. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> you're competing they, with everyone there. Don't get us wrong. Our, our line of work, there is no job security. Yeah. Uh, the difference is that you're hustling for, for work rather than hustling for a job. Yeah. And that's what I, in in a sense, you have job security where you're always going to be working, but the work is going to vary uh, significantly. There could be a year where maybe you do more corporate type gigs. There could be another year where you do more documentary type gigs. Yeah. So pre-COVID, I found that, and I was of the opinion that there's enough work to go around if you know where to look and if you know what connections to make, because we were working pretty comfortably. And that's why we weren't focusing also as much on uh, the business uh, as well, because we were making connections, working with these other production companies and people to, you know, broaden our skills, um, expand our network and, you know, still make some extra money aside from. But even there, there's no job security, because if someone else, if a better Carol comes by with a cheaper rate, because you're a freelancer. You're, they don't owe you any no, loyalty. No, of course they they don't they they don't owe you any loyalty. But that's what I'm saying. It's not necessarily job security. It's more of uh, opportunity security in a way. You know, because it's like we're all self-employed at the end of the day, right? But if I applied to a job and I don't get it, I move on to the next one. Yeah. And to the next one. And to the next one. If you had a job and you got fired, you can't just find another job like that. Like the process, the process that it takes now for some people to get a job, it they go through three, four interviews almost, and you can make it to the last two, and they're picking between you and another person, and then that other person gets it. That whole month of work gone. Well, our friend, uh, he was trying to get some job in I don't know if it was animation or graphics design or editing that stuff somewhere somewhere in that ballpark, and I remember he told me he's like, yeah, man, like I'll I see a job. Um, first of all, the pay usually sucks because you look at it and he's like, they want me to, they want to pay me like 35,000 and I got to work like 50 hours a week. I'm yeah, like, how like, can I survive on that? And I was thinking about, it, I'm like, how could you survive on that? You really The can. rent alone in Toronto, you're looking at at least two G's. Okay. If you want to get like a single. Which is 24K in expenses right there. Right. How are you going to live on 6,000, right? Working like a full week. So he's like, aside from that. But what happens is you might you'll find younger people that'll take those job on those jobs on for like a couple of years, get that experience under their belt, and then move on to something better, right? Yeah. So he was de- he's an older guy too. So he was dealing with first of all low salaries. Second of all, the pool of applicants is huge. He Massive. told me he's like by the time he'd apply, he's like there are probably like five hundred other people. Yeah, and a lot of the time people go with some of the first people who had applied. So you have like, there have been times where I've seen a job posting where I thought, okay, I could probably do this. And then I see how many people have applied, like yeah, two, like, 300. I'm like, I'm not even going to bother. Point? <laughs> I'm not even going to bother putting in an email. Like my efforts are better spent somewhere else. But if you applied and you were maybe like the 10th or the 5th, you will guaranteed to be uh, reached out to. It's almost to. like a sneaker uh, release, first yeah. come, first serve. <laughs> it is. It really is almost because by that point, they're not going to want to go through 300 applications. Once they find the closest thing to what they're looking for, then then that's it that's pretty much how it is with with um, when we were applying to get editors right but yeah it's it's tough out there 
Well, Dario, I think we can wrap it up there. I yeah, think we can we've sign covered, off now. We've pretty much covered quite a bit of uh, stuff. So for the next episode, we're going to try to bring on a guest uh, because while it's been fun uh, with Carol and I here, I think we're starting to exhaust a lot of the, the topics uh, we alone can talk about. Like basically going forward with some of the future episodes, we want to bring in guests that can help give their share their experiences and perspectives on certain topics within the industry. Yeah, And uh, we're going to go forward with a zoom approach so it you're gonna see it a little bit different pretty much the same setup with dario and i like this but we're going to have our guests uh, calling in yeah and uh yeah we look forward to it and uh, thank you for watching thank you thank you for tuning into the creatives grab coffee podcast you can find us on spotify youtube instagram and linkedin let us know if there are any topics you would like for us to cover in future episodes you can reach out to us at creativesgrabcoffee at gmail.com Thank you.